Good morning. Today's daf is daf ein vov. Today's shir lilunishmas ben Sion ben zev Avram Halevi and Yehuda Leib ben Yehuda Leib ben Ephraim and Penina Bashloma Koin. May their memory be a blessing and may their neshamas have an aliyah. Today's shir is also for a refuah shleima of Yehuda Leib ben Miriam. May he have a complete recovery. So today's actually a very um, regarding the laws of meat and milk and isubehete non-kosher and kosher. Today's actually a very uh, it's one of the fundamental sugyas that underlie a lot of principles that come up in uh, Yoridea in uh, the the discussion of meat and milk and isubehete. It's triggered, obviously, by discussion with the Korban Pesach, as we'll see in the Mishnah in the beginning of the Gemara. But then it goes into discuss other issues of roasting meat in the same oven, what happens if uh, juice drips, etc., things like that. So, uh, yeah, let's start. Um, I'm going to go from the Mishnah at the bottom of Ein Hey Amud Beis, 75b. It says, what happens if the Koban Pesach touches the side of the oven? So, Yiklofes Makoma, you must take off a clipper, take off a peel, uh, peel off a little bit around it. Why? What's the problem? Is because remember the Koban Pesach has to be cooked by the roasting of the fire. If it touches the side of the oven, it, uh, it's being cooked. That part which touches the side of the oven gets cooked by the oven wall, not by the fire. I mean, remember yesterday we saw even by the Koban Pesach, it goes so far as to say that if there's no actual fire in the oven that you're baking, that you're roasting the Koban Pesach, there's just uh, the, res- um, the heat in the walls from the fire that was there earlier. That's not good enough. So definitely it's cooked by actually touching the wall. That's a problem. And it's possible. You're not allowed to eat a Koban Pesach that is not roasted, but sli'esh. So this, so again, you'll t- you take off a clipper, uh, you peel off around where it touched the oven. I'm going to explain this how the Gemara concludes because it makes, it's just, e- well, yeah, one of the ways the Gemara concludes, it's easier. If some of the juice drips off the Korban Pesach onto the hot oven and splatters back onto the Korban Pesach, you have to do Natila on that place. You have to remove that place where it splatters onto the Korban Pesach. Again, it's the same problem. It absorbs some of the heat from the oven that it lands on and then goes back on the Korban Pesach and the area where it lands. Oh, sorry. You, sorry. The Reutave itself, the juice of the Korban Pesach, when it lands on the floor and gets cooked by the oven, it becomes osur to eat because now it's Korban Pesach that's not roasted by fire. It's cooked by the oven. And then when it goes back on the Koban Pesach and it gets a little bit absorbed into the Koban Pesach, it becomes Osur. Um, what's the difference between Klippa and Natila? If you noticed, when it was just the dry Pesach touching the side of the oven, you only have to do Natila, a Klippa. When it's, the, um, when it's the juice that gets a little bit absorbed into the Koban Pesach, you have to do Natila. So I think it's the Rosh in Chulin explains that clipper is basically as thin as you can cut it, that it like stays together as a piece. So as thin as you can get that, uh, that you can cut it, that it doesn't just crumble, it stays together, that would be clipper. And the tiller is a finger's, a finger's thickness. 
So whenever you, when next time you in the kitchen and you and you ask a question because some of the milk dripped onto your meat uh, roast for Friday night, and the Rebbe and the, your you phone the Rav and he says, oh, you must do a natilla. That means you must take a finger thickness around where the milk landed. Similarly, if some of the juice of the common Pesach drips onto, again, hot flour, now it gets absorbed into the flour and it's also because it's cooked by the flour. So you have to do committee, you have to take a handful of that, of flour from where it is. Um, again, because it's not sliash, it's cooked by the hot flour. Now we're going to a separate. So that's yeah, that's to do with the cooking. Now of of uh, yeah, how the common pesach is cooked and that it becomes also if it's not cooked the ice. Sochu b'shemin truma. If you smear the common pesach with truma oil, im chaburis kohanim yochlu. If the people who are gathered to eat that korban are all kohanim, well then they can eat it because they're allowed to eat truma's oil. Im shel Yisrael. If it, what happens if it's a carbon of Jews and now it's got truma oil smeared around the outside? Now the Jews, the Israelim can't eat it. So if it's raw, you just rinse it. The im but if the carbon pesach had already been roasted when you smeared the oil on, you have to do a clipper. Now it's the, the way, um, and if I remember correctly, this is our Shulchan Aruch Paskins, we, we have to go strict. And once it's cooked, even if it's cold, it's more absorbent. That's why if you rub this oil on the raw meat, it's not so absorbent. On the raw Korban Pesach, it's not so absorbent. So you just rinse it off. But if it's being cooked, and then you rub the rub it on, then it would be awesome. Now, what happens if you smear it with Master Shani oil? Now remember, there's nothing wrong with eating the Master Shani because you're eating the Korban Pesach in Yerushalayim and you're allowed to eat Master Shani in Yerushalayim. However, lo yasenu domim al chambura However, you're not allowed to charge the people of your group because you're not allowed to sell Master Shani in Yerushalayim. It's a very interesting halacha. Everyone, I guess, chips in. One person provides, they split the money and buy a lamb, and one person provides the oil, and one person provides the barbecue sauce, and they each, one person provides the mustard, they each provide different parts, or they sell, or he provides the oil, and then they pay back. This oil, that's Master Shani oil, is not allowed to charge them for, because you're not allowed to charge for Master Shani in Yerushalayim. Okay, let's go on into the Gomorrah. Itmar, it's been said. Now this is a... Cham letoy cham osur. If hot lands in hot, everyone would agree it's osur. Tsoinein letoy tsoinein divrakol mutar. If cold goes into cold, everyone agrees it with mutar. Let's just give an example. So if you have hot meat that falls into hot milk, then it's also because the milk absorbs the flavor of the meat, the meat absorbs the flavor of the milk, and it's also, so that's cham cham, hot into hot. Or it could be with isur, it could be non-kosher lands in a hot, in a, in a hot kosher, or the other way around, but if they're both hot, then it's also. What happens if they're both cold? Then it is mutar. It says cham cham. But what happens if it's one of them is hot, like the hot milk falls on cold meat? Or let's say the other way Cold meat lands on hot milk, or hot, uh, hot meat lands in cold milk. What do you, how do you treat it there? Do you treat it as hot into cold? As hot and hot, or cold and cold? 
So the Gemara, so Rav Omar Ilogavar. Rav says the top one trumps. The top one is stronger. I. So if the top one's hot, then you view it as hot into hot. If the top one is cold, so let's say it's hot meat landing in cold milk, you view it as a hot in hot mixture, and both the meat and the milk will become awesome. If cold meat lands in hot milk, then you view it as cold, and the milk and the meat remain permitted. Um, yeah, Ushmul Omar Tatogovar. Ushmul says the bottom one trumps. Um, Tatogovar, yeah, the bottom one is stronger, and therefore you go after what the bottom one is. If the bottom one's hot, even if the top one's cold, you view it as a hot and hot, and if the bottom one's cold, even if the top one's hot, view it as cold and cold and it would be mutar we'll see a, a specific requirement but that would be the standard and interesting this fora that shmuel that's given for shmuel is along the, the grounds of home ground advantage remember it's the top one that's going into the mock on the place of the bottom one so therefore the bottom one which is it's in its place has that extra strength and therefore you would follow it so again if the bottom's cold it would be cold if the top one's up now the gomorrah is going to challenge shmuel so again, Shmuel's the one who said you go after the bottom one. Rav's the one who said you go after the top one, the one that's landing in. It says, Tanan, we learned in our Mishnah, not of Merod Valacheres, Vechazarol, of Yitales Makoimo. The Mishnah, our Mishnah said that if the Kovan Pesach drips onto the earthenware of the oven and then goes back and drips into the, onto the Kovan Pesach, you have to do Natila. It says, oh, The assumption is that it drips onto a plate or something in the oven that's cold. Now, according to Rav, who says, the top one wins. I can understand why you have to do Natila, and he explains it. When this boiling hot juice drips off the Koban Pesach and lands on the Cheres, it heats up the Cheres. And then that hot Cheres contributes to the heat of the juice, to the cooking of the juice. And then the roitev splatters back onto the Korban Pesach. It ends up that the Korban Pesach is being roasted by this juice that was heated by the earthenware. And the Torah says you're only allowed to have the Koban Pesach roasted by fire and not roasted by any other way. So according to Rav, that, that, that case actually works. Even though it lands on, you've taken, let's say you've taken the Koban Pesach outside the oven and some of the juice drips onto the plate that it's sitting on and then it drips, splatters back onto the Koban Pesach, that is still problematic because the top one, the hot juice, lands on the Cheres, which heats it up again and then it splats back on. But Ella Lishmul to Omar Tatakov, or Cheres, given the Tzainen, who are Kure Maker, Leila Reutev, and Mayitzelas Makoma. But wait, according to Shmuel, the bottom one wins. So what happens here? You have this hot gravy that lands on this cold Cheres, the bottom one wins, so you view it as cold, and then when it splatters back on the Koban Pesach, what's also about it? So the Gemara, so that can't be so. so the Gemara answers. So, so according to Shmuel, it's difficult. No, because Omar Rav Yirmiya Omar Shmuel b'Soilas Rotachas Hachanami b'Cheres Rotachat. Just as Rav Yirmiya is going to explain shortly that the Mishnah discusses hot flour, so to here it's discussing hot Cheres. Right, so the gravy actually dripped onto hot earthenware. That's how I explained in the Mishnah, and then went back onto the Kol Pesach as opposed to dripping on cold earthenware. 
Shnan, another question on um, Shmuel. Not of Meroit Falasoilis, Yichmoitz Etz Makoma. If the juice from the common Pesach drips onto a thing of flour, you have to do kemitza, take a handful around where it landed. Is that we're dealing with cold flour. According to Rav, who says that the top one wins, I, if the top is hot, you view it as a hot and hot. Why? That's why you have to do kemitza. What? The martech leila soiles? Because the the hot juice that drips from the Koran Pesach heats up the flour that's around it, and then that flour reheats up, adds to the heat of that juice. And the juice is heated up by the heat of the flour. Again, the juice drips off the Koran Pesach into this flour. It heats up the flour, which now heats up the juice. That juice is Koban Pesach that's heated up partially by flour. And that's also why. So Ravid makes sense. Shmuel that says the bottom one wins. When this juice drips into cold flour, since it's cold, it's going to actually chew, cool the juice down. It's not going to heat the juice up at all. It's going to cool it down. So it won't be cooked by something besides flour. Why do I have to do kemitza? So said in the name of Shmuel that we're dealing with with soiles rotachas, hot soiles. So again, we, for whatever reason, he's baking this uh, Grilling this flour in like in the oven and it's hot. And when the juice from the Kompesach lands in it, the hot flour cooks the juice. Again, and also it seeps far into the flour, so you have to take a it gets that isur korban gets absorbed, its flavour gets absorbed in the flour, and you have to take a handful away. Okay, now we're gonna challenge Shmuel a third time from our Mishnah. The Mishnah mentioned that if you smear the Koban Pesach with Truma oil, well, if it's a group of Kohanim, they can go and eat. It's Truma, they're allowed to eat it, so, it's, uh, so that's fine. But if it's Israel, so if it's cold, you rinse it off. If it's already been roasted, then you do clipper on the outside. Now, according to Rav, who holds you go after the top. It makes sense that you only have to peel away the thin outer layer that came in contact with the truma oil. Because it's cold, and what happens when you have cold on hot? According to Rav, you go after the top one. So it's cold on hot. And you just have to do, and therefore you view it as cold. So you just have to peel away the little outside, uh, the outside layer. This but according to Shmuel, that it's that you go after the bottom one. So what do we have? We have cold oil on hot Pesach. Why is clipper sufficient? You should have to. The whole thing should be also because what happens when you have a mixture that's when you have hot and hot mixed together? They absorb flavor from each one. So the whole Korban Pesach is going to, since it's hot, it's as if the flavor from the oil spread throughout the Korban Pesach. And you, and you, the whole Korban Pesach tastes of trumas, so no, no Israel can eat it. 
So the Gemara answers, no, shiny sicha. It's different when you smear the oil on it. Because you have just done a little bit of, it's such a little bit of oil that it's not going to sink in far. So you're right, if the Korban Pesach, or you would pour a whole jar of oil or something like that over your Korban Pesach, fine. But when you're smearing oil over the outside of your Korban Pesach, it's just a tiny little bit of oil that can only sink in a Kadei Klipper. And therefore, just peeling it would be sufficient. Now, Tanya Kavaisi de Shmuel, there's a price in line with Shmuel. Cham letoi cham osur, if you have hot and too hot, the whole mixture becomes forbidden. Again, that was the classic case we gave was um, a piece of meat falls into a, boil, a, a hot piece of meat, lands in a boiling pot of milk. He says, and so too, if you have a cold piece of milk, that's put into a cold piece of meat, that's put into hot, cold into hot. You go after the bottom one, also is forbidden as if it's hot or not. If it's hot into cold and cold into hot, or in cold into cold, then you can just rinse it off. The Gemara asks, wait, if it's hot into cold, you can just rinse it off. Says, imagine this, you have a hot piece of meat landing in this cold milk. Says, granted, it's going to cool it down, but while it's cooling it down, the hot meat will at least absorb and give off a little bit of flavor. Well, again, you're right, it's hot meat into cold milk, the milk will trump and it won't mix properly. But while the meat is being cooled down by the milk, won't the milk absorb? So, so rather you have to say, no, you're right. If it's hot into cold, you still do clip it. You just have to rinse it. So, in other words, what we're saying in this, what's this last point saying? Let's just clarify it. It's a brighter like shmuel. So, firstly, hot into hot is viewed, the flavors mix completely, and the whole mixture is also. What happens if it's hot into cold into hot? That's also the bottom one wins, tato gover, it's like it, this brighter is in accordance with shmuel, and the whole thing, it's, it's viewed as a hot and hot mixture. What happens if it's so cold into cold, okay, then you just rinse it. You, you, you're removing a piece of meat and you accidentally drop it in a bowl of cereal. You can just rinse off the piece of meat and bake it. Okay, that's where the meat's cold. What happens if it's hot meat into cold milk? So as it drops in, you're right, we say that the bottom one wins. So it's going to cool down the top piece, the meat that lands in it. But while it's being cooled down, it will absorb a little. So you have to do clipper. You have to peel away the outer, the outer layer of meat. It doesn't go in far because the bottom one wins and cools it down, but it does absorb a little bit. Tanya Erich, another price, very similar. Hot meat that lands in hot milk. And similarly, cold meat that lands into cold milk, into hot milk. Also, it would be completely forbidden. If it's hot into cold or cold into cold, you just rinse it off. You're telling me that if you have hot meat that lands in cold milk, you just rinse it. Or you could say cold milk that lands on... Um, sorry, you could say um, hot milk that lands on cold meat. He says... While it's cooling it down, while the bottom one is cooling the top one down, it's impossible that it won't absorb a little bit. So it should require clipper. 
says you're right you have to say that hot into cold you do clipper and cold into hot sorry hot into cold you must still do clipper peel away the outer one now Tosos asks a question here which brings out an interesting halacha he says what's the point of the second brisa what's it adding to the first brisa the first brisa told us all these rules that we already know Hot into hot and cold into hot is a hot is viewed as a hot and hot mixture and everything completely mixes the flavors completely mix and it's awesome and the second price it just says the exact same principle and oh and then what happens if it's cold into cold okay there you just rinse it and what if it's hot into cold hot falls onto cold then you do clipper so what's the second price that just mentions meat and milk as opposed to using a generic term for hot into cold um, what's it adding so Tosso says the Kashm, it's coming to teach us that even the milk is allowed because we have a question here granted when let's say you have a hot steak that lands in a cold milk so you can do clipper you can peel the outer layer of the steak away take a thin slice of the steak out of it but what you're going to do with the milk you can't take a clip of milk. Milk's liquidy and moving around. So, th- so what do you do there? So again, hot piece of meat, meat into cold milk. We say that the tatok over, it's a cold mixture. So the milk's not going to go in far and the meat flavor is not going to go far into the milk. However, while it's cooling down, we say it goes in a little bit. So the meat, we have a simple solution. You just cut away a thin layer on the outside of the meat. But what do you do about the milk? So Rabbeinu Tam comes to t- says that the second brisa is coming to teach us that you don't even need the clipper. It's only that the milk you can have without any correction. This that you need to do clipper is where you can do clipper. On a liquid you can't do clipper. So picture this in your mind. You're carrying a hot steak straight off the bra and your child's having a bowl of cereal and you accidentally drop the steak into the cereal. What do you do? You take out the meat, you peel the outer layer, and then it's fine. And the milk, there's nothing you can do. How are you going to do clip-on cereal? So therefore, it's fine. Whereas, so that's how Rabbeinu Tam learns. Um, and he says the reason his proof is because it just says you do a clip on the meat. The bracer doesn't say you do anything to the milk. So by the fact that it doesn't say you do anything to the milk, must be you don't have to. Whereas other is showing him the revoir, argues on this, and he says, no, you need 60 connected the clipper. You have to work out. Remember, if you have liquid measures, you always go after bottle bashishim. Is there 60 times that measurement? Um, yeah, just before we go further, just the, the Orach HaShulchan asks a few interesting questions. The one I'll just mention the question, I won't do the answer, and the second one we can discuss a little bit more. So he says here, he says, let me just find it quickly. Um, he says, yeah, he starts off, he says, did, did, You should know that in this discussion of Tatok over there's so many big questions. He says, the first one is, strictly speaking, if you're not sure whether something's Osir or Mutar, you can ask a non-Jew to taste it. So why don't you, we're not sure, when you have a hot piece of meat landing in cold milk, or cold piece of meat landing in hot milk. 
We're not sure which one do you say. Rav says you go after the top one and Shmuel says you go after the bottom one. Just get a non-Jew to taste it and tell us whether you can taste the meat in the milk. And then you'll know. And then you'll know for future whether to go after the top or the bottom one. So that's the one question he brings. He does answer it. And then, but the second question I wanted to go into, which I think is quite a very practical one, he says, he says, how can you say a general rule? He says, what happens if you have a tiny piece of meat, cold meat, and a huge pot of boiling hot milk that spills onto that, onto that piece of meat? You're going to tell me that Tatogovor, that because the meat is cold, we're going to say it doesn't absorb. At some point, you have to say there's so much more hot, even though it's the top one, that it will win. He says this is totally, he says it's totally bewildering. It sounds totally bewildering that we have a general principle that you always go after if the bottom one hot or cold. What happens if there's so much more of the other? Or if the bottom one's, even if the bottom one's, yeah, so that's what he answers. Um, he says similarly, if you have a tiny piece of boiling hot meat and your whole container of milk, your whole milk spills, a whole two liter milk spills over that meat. You're going to tell me that the meat heats up the milk so that the, the, it's all completely awesome. He says it doesn't make sense. Um, therefore, he says you have to say that the discussion in Alcamor is where it's fairly equal. Um, so that I thought was quite interesting. Another question that very practical, like what's the amount? And he says you must be discussing equal or fairly equal um, quantities of meat and milk or Isra and Heter to apply this principle. But if there's much more of the cold or much more of the hot, well then obviously you have to, you would go after that. Okay, there's a lot more to discuss, but let's carry on. If you have cold into cold, you rinse it. This is all where it's not salty. But if it's salty, then it would be osur. Um, yeah. Now, interesting, if you look in Shulchan Aruch, this is specifically where the isur is salty because then it expels its flavor, so its flavor will go into the heter. That's it. To Omar, but why isn't salt, if it's granted you have, let's say, an extremely cold, extremely, granted if you have a salty piece of non-kosher steak and it's touching or it's resting on a hot, uh, oh, not hot, sorry, on a kosher steak, a shkuta, why should it give flavor into the kosher piece of meat and make it also. We have a general principle that something that's salted is like it's being roasted together and something that is kovush, left sitting in something, like pickling or something, then it's kamavushal. So if you have a piece of kosher meat and a piece of non-kosher meat or some, a block of cheese and a piece of meat soaking in the same liquid together, at least we say after 24 hours, it's, we view it as if the flavors, the, the flavors uh, intermingle and they become also. That's kovush kamavushal. Pickling something is like mavushal. Omar Rova, hod Omar Shmuel, meiliach hareu kurasech, lo Omran elot 
שלא עם נכו מחמס מולכו, אבל נכו מחמס מולכו לא. This that we said that something that is salted is as if it's roasted, as if it's boiling hot, is only where it's so salty that you can't eat it because of its how much salt is on it. I, there are two definitions given to that. The one is the amount of salting you would use to salt it so you can cook it, like in the cushing process. Or the second definition is the amount that they used to salt it to, um, to preserve it when they were traveling. So those are the two. That's how salty it is. Even if it's salty, but it's still, you can eat it, then it would not, this rule would not apply. There was this little chick that fell into a jug of kutach. Remember, kutach has some milk in it. Hanina permitted it. He let it, uh, he, it was, he let them rinse off the chicken eat it. Says, Oh my Rava, man, Hakim Lemisha Milsaki, hi, you love Rav Hanina Braider of the Rava Mifarshina. Says, Who else would be wise enough to permit such a case? He said, The Gavarabah, he is so great. Omar Lacho, he will explain it to you. Ki Omar Shmumelia Haruka, Sel Shainecho, Mahmas Molcho, Hi Necho, Mahmas Molcho. Because when did, when is it that something that is so salty, it is Osur? Like it's roasted, that's only where you can't eat it because of how salty it is. But this chick was just lightly salted, so it was fine. Again, this that we say if cold falls into cold, like this little this piece of chicken falls into milk, is permitted, it's only where it's raw. But if it is roasted, then it requires a clipper. Because once something is roasted, once something's cooked, it's softer and it's more absorbent. And this again is all where it doesn't have cracks. But if it has cracks going all the way through, well then obviously it would all be osur. Because the, the let's, let's again, let's say a piece of meat or a little chicken, piece of chicken lands in a thing of milk. If it's got cracks in it, then the milk's going to seep in. It says, Similarly, if it is spiced, then it makes it softer and more absorbent, and it will become osur. Okay, Omar Rav, Rav says, We're now going to new discuss roasting meat in the same oven. If you have... Um, fatty kosher meat, bosor shchuta, roasted in the same oven with non-kosher meat, even, even if that non-kosher meat is very lean, it is osur. Now before we go on, yeah, basically what the, we'll read it inside, but how the Gomorrah explains it is that the fatty, when you're roasting a meat in the oven, if it's fatty, the, party, the fatty particles carry the flavor, the aroma around the oven. So what's going to happen here is you're going to have the kosher meat, which is fatty. The fatty particles are going to carry the aroma to the non-kosher um, meat. But it's also going to, those fatty particles, when they get to the non-kosher meat, are going to absorb the, the aroma and put that in the kosher meat. So that's why, and again, that point they point out that Rashi points out that this is even where the kosher one is fatty and the non-kosher one is lean. So it's all the fatty particles from the, that that are strong, that what's what's moving the aromas around the oven, the kosher fat particles, but still they move, 
they move the they move the the aroma from the nevela to the kosher and makes it osur. My timer, my fat me, my daddy. They the the fat moves from one to the other. So that's Rav. Rav says it's osur. Again, the he says that the the aroma will move. Levi says that no. If you have roasted shechted meat, that's lean, and you have fatty nevela, it's mutar. My time, it's just the aroma from the non-kosher meat that's going into the kosher meat, and that's insubstantial. You don't have to worry about that. So according to Levi, as we'll see now, you can be roasting, yeah, let's just see this. And Levi Paskin like this in the Reish Galusa, there was a Gedi, a, a, a kid, a, a goat roasting in the oven at the same time as a pig. A lean goat roasting in the oven with a fatty pig. And he says, it's, un, it's kosher. And that's, you know, was again, because he says it's all it's transferring through this roasting them in the same oven. Obviously, they're not touching. We're discussing where they're just roasting. Is the flavor going from one to the other. And that's, sorry, not the flavor, the, the aroma going from one to the other. And he says, it's insubstantial, so you don't have to worry about it. I mean, um, interestingly, um, many hold that this, that this that you're allowed to roast, according to Levi, um, Yeah, let's let's go a bit further and then we'll discuss a little bit of the halacha of this. Macy, they they challenge this. Says you're not allowed to roast two korban pesach in the same oven because they might get mixed together. Says my my love tarovis tamim. It must be that this is referring to the flavors mixed together. But kasha levi and it's a kasha on levi. Why? Because the concern is that the flavor will go from one korban into the other korban. And then it turns out that your group who's eating this korban is eating this korban with the flavor from a second korban. And remember, you're not allowed to eat another korban. You're only allowed to eat the korban that was shechted for you. So it's got the flavor of the other korban. Kashala Levi, because Levi says, we don't care about the aroma going, if you roast two things in the oven, we don't care about them going from one to the other. So lo mibnei taroves gufin. Now the concern is that you'll actually get mixed up with the actual Pesach, the, the actual Korban. Right? We're not worried about the aroma going from one Pesach to the other, like Levi. But we're worried that you'll get mixed up. The one group will take the wrong Korban Pesach. And Hachinami Mistovra, this is actually logical. Midoktani Sefer from the last clause of that Pesach. Vafilu Gediva Tle, this is even Osur if it is a kid and a lamb. Now, if you say the concern is that you'll get the actual korban mixed up, either one group will take the wrong korban, that makes sense why it says, even if it's a kid, I, granted if it's a lamb and a lamb or a kid and a kid, there's a concern for mixing up them. But we're saying that even if it's a lamb and a kid, it's a concern you might mix them in. But why the even? If you hold that the concern is the mixing of the flavors, the aroma going from one to the other, well then why would you say even if it's a kid and a lamb? It makes no difference whether it's a kid and a kid or a kid and a lamb. The flavors will mix equally. So by saying Afilu implies that it's specifically um, 
It's the concern is specifically that you'll get them mixed up. Elomai al karcha, Ribnei Taroves Gufin. So Elomai, Elomai. So what are you saying? Al karcha Ribnei Taroves Gufin. Who asur? The concern is specifically that you'll mix up and you'll take the wrong korban pesach. Aval Taroves Tomim Shari. But you're telling me that the flavors would be. We're not concerned that the flavors go from one to the other. Lamed Yavit you have to drive. That should be a rejection of Rav. So Omar Reb Yirmiya Hachel Ma'askinen Kogam Shetzalu B'Shteikadayros. Reb Yirmiya says, "No, what's the case here? Is where you roasted them in two separate pots. Ah, you roasted the one common pesach in one pot and the other common pesach in the other pot, and then the flavor, the aroma is definitely not going to move from the one pesach to the other. So the only concern is, would you mix them up? But before we go further, the Gemara asks, al Kadatach. You're not allowed to roast the common pesach in a pot." That's what we learned two Mishnahs ago. How do you roast the Kovan Pesach? On a spit. You need Sliash. If you put it in a pot and it's going to roast in the pot from the juices of it and the hot pot, etc., it's going to be invalid. It's going to be possible. So, El Kadeiros. Like two Kadeiros. And what does it mean, like two pots? Rashi explains, like the oven has a partition of uh, coal in between. So you have the one common Pesach on one side and the other common Pesach on the other side and you have coal in between. It's like they're in two separate pots. The, the aroma is not going to travel across from one to the other. The only concern there is, would you get mixed up with the Koban and your group might take my group's korban, or my group might take your korban accidentally. That would be the concern. Let's see that inside. You're not allowed to roast two korban pesach together because we're concerned of the mixture. Says my taroves, taroves amin. And what flavor, what mixture are we concerned about that the, reich, the aroma goes from one korban pesach to the other? But he says, And even if it's similar to being roasted in two separate pots, where there is no concern about tarovis to amim of their flavor, also mission tarovis gufin, we're concerned about the, you might mix up the actual kompesach and even a gadiyan So we have, so far, we don't really have a clear way of resolving the halacha. Um, both Rav and Levi stand up. Again, Rav says, you have to be concerned about the aroma transferring between two things roasting in the oven. If you have pig, like the case over um, pig and, and kosher meat roasting in the same oven, Rav says you have to be worried about the flavor going from one to the other. Whereas Levi says, you don't have to be worried. The aroma is insubstantial and therefore you don't have to worry about it. Okay, so... Um, yeah, interestingly, so, I mean, we don't often find that Rashi Paskins. Rashi generally spends his time explaining the Gemara, but if you look here, Rashi says, um, let, yeah, let's, sorry, we'll, we'll just, let's carry, let's finish to the Mishnah and then we'll discuss it a bit further. So, Omar Amori Katnai. Amori says, this Machloik is Rav and Levi. Whether you have to be concerned about this aroma is actually Machloik is Tanai. What happens if you take hot bread straight out of the oven and you put it over the opening of a barrel over the top of the barrel of wine of truma now remember if it absorbs from the flavor of the truma then a regular shrill it's going to be forbidden for a regular shrill to eat this bread because it's got flavor of truma so 
So Rabbi Meir Me says, it's also over Rabbi Yehuda Matir. Rabbi Yehuda says, no, it's permitted. Rabbi Yehuda Matir b'shel chitim v'oyser b'shel b'shel sa'ari minayshe sa'ari cha'ives. Rabbi Yehuda says, if it's meat bread, it would be mutar, because it's not going to absorb from the flavor of the wine. If it's barley bread, it's also because barley absorbs more. Barley bread. It says, now my love, tonight he demars of a reicha lam, you'll see. That must be a machlokes tonight. Rabbi Yehuda holds that reicha is insubstantial. That's why he holds even if you put this bread on top of the barrel of wine, the, the aroma, the vapors of the wine are going to go into the bread. It's insubstantial and therefore it's mutar. Umasov, but Rabbi Meir holds reicha milsehi. No, the aroma of the wine is going to go into this hot bread and therefore it is milsa. The levi varatnai. The Gemara says, according to levi, you definitely have to learn it as a machlokas tanaim. The one opinion that Rabbi Meir says it's also in Rabbi Yehuda says Rabbi Meir holds Reicha Milsa and Rabbi Yehuda holds Reicha La Milsa. The Rav named but Tanai by Rav do you have to say it's Machlokas Tanaim? Says no. Amar for Rav the Kuli Amar Reicha Milsahi. Rav would actually say everyone, both Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda hold that Reicha is substantial. Oh, how could Rabbi Yehuda then say it's permitted to have this hot bread over the? Bear over the jug of wine when it's going to absorb from the vapors. He says, Love it, Lokish. Didn't we, didn't Rambachana in the name of Reish Lokish explain? He says, The Pascham of the also. If the bread is hot and the barrel is open, right, so you're kind of putting it just over the top of a open barrel of wine, then everyone would hold its osser. It's definitely going to get flavor. But Pascham of the Mutar. If it's a uh, if it's cold bread and a sealed barrel, everyone will agree it's mutar. Where is this machloikes? If you have hot bread on a closed barrel or, a, or cold bread on an open barrel, in that case the concern is and Rav will say roasting two animals in the same or kosher and non-kosher in the same oven is the same as um, hot in cold. As, is, is the same as hot bread over an open barrel, which everyone agrees is osur. If you have bread that is baked with roasted meat in the oven, while meat's roasting in the oven, you're not allowed to eat it with kutach. Remember, kutach has milk in. So the aroma is going to go from the, they roasting they, the, the meat that was the bread that was roasted in the same time as the meat absorbs from the aroma of the meat and therefore you're not allowed to eat it. And also There was this fish that was roasted in the oven the same time as meat and Rava Mipazika said you're not allowed to eat it with kutach again because the fish absorbs from the flavor of the meat and then it's basically got it's meaty fish. And you can't eat it with kutach. Now what you guys all thinking? If it absorbs the flavor of the meat? We don't eat fish and meat anyway. So that's what he says. Mar baravashi omar afilu b'milcha nami asuri. Not even allowed to eat it lightly salted. Mishum dekashu l'reich of Because eating meat and milk together is, 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 is detrimental. It gives you bad breath. And dovar acher. And we say it's a ras. I eating meat and fish together, that famous thing that we learned, we don't do. So if you have fish roasted in the oven at the same time as meat and it absorbs from the aroma of the meat, it would be awesome. 
So that's a, that's this uh, discussion. Reicha milsa, reicha la milsa. Now there's a lot of it's a, the similar sugi is discussed in Avodah Zorah, and there are a lot of overlaps, but just some of the main points. We have a machloikes. Let's call it Rav and Levi. Let's not discuss it in light of this machloikes tonight. And the last few points, Levi says if you're roasting two things in a Rav, well. The Rav says you're roasting a pig and a lamb in the same oven. The lamb becomes also from the pig. Levi says it doesn't. Levi says it's fine. Now the one machlokes we show him is, are you allowed to do that lechatchilo? Is it only b'diavet? I if if you come to me and say, you know what, um, you, you've I don't you're away and you want them to roast some meat for you, but they're busy roasting their their pig for the supper, are, you allowed to, are they allowed to put it in the oven together? So, some hold, here they want to bring it to the riff and Rashi, hold that, no, you cannot do it on purpose. You cannot put it. But if you came to me and you said, look, I found out, I found out that they roasted my, my lamb while there was pig in the oven, well then, it's really insignificant and you don't have to worry about it. So that's one machloikas. Another interesting point that we saw is if it's in two pots or if, the, if there's some partition in the oven, it doesn't have to be complete partition, but that they, it's as if it's in a separate pot, then that seems to be allowed according to everyone, even even according to Rav, who's strict and says you, if they roast it in the same oven, it's completely osur. If it's roasted in two separate pots, it would be mutar. So that comes on to... Now, th- these are some of the fundamental points to clarify, to analyze whether you're allowed to be cooking meat and milk in the same oven. According to Levi, there should be no problem with... Or let's say, according to Levi, there should be no problem, and especially Bidiyeva, there should be no problem of cooking meat and milk in the same oven, especially if you have... It doesn't even have to be covered. You have your milk in one dish and your meat in another dish. Because remember, Levi permitted, even where they're roasting, either you've got a, a... I mean, our ovens are a bit smaller, but maybe an industrial oven, you've got, a, you've got some tuna lasagna cooking on one side, or some macaroni and cheese... Um, on the one side, and on the other side you have this pig, not piglets, we're discussing kosher, this uh, delicious lamb uh, or uh, roasting next to it. According to Levi, that would be no problem. So that should, that would start to give us a lot of heterium. This, from this aspect, there are a lot of reasons to go lenient, especially, I mean, this is again um, a discussion in the Rishonim, but as I mentioned earlier, Rashi doesn't often paskin in the Gemara. He generally discusses the Gemara, sometimes you can work out how he paskins, but once in a while, I actually noticed it quite a bit in Chulin, we've seen it a few times in this Masechta, but here he says, um, And even though we said, both Tanoim, um, he basically says, we, fit, we found in our sugi, it came out that if you learn like Levi, then you have Rebbe Meir against you and Rebbe Yehuda with you. If you learn like Rav, then both are with him. So it's more likely that we should learn like Rav. He says, no. Hilchas Kavai said to Levi, that loch is like Levi. Gabe Bas Tehi in Meseches Avodah Zorah it's a machloikes Abai and Rava the Komle Rava Beshitzah de Levi and Rava goes like Levi the Oma Reichel Lavmil Zehi he says Rava paskins like Levi that Reichel this aroma is inconsequential you don't have to worry about it the Abai the Rava Hilchas Akarava and we have a general principle that whenever you have a machloikes Abai and Rava the Haloch is like Rava 
Um, so, um, so therefore, Rav says we have this same machloke as Levi and Rav, as Rav and Abaya, and Rav goes like Levi. Therefore, we who always paskin like Rav, should paskin like Levi. So that's our Rashi paskins. I think there are those who argue, but that would be a good gunner. The problem, just to mention, we're not going to have, it's, it's a big discussion, our ovens, and whether it applies and whether it doesn't apply, but one of the things that are a concern of in a, regarding an oven is they make a distinction between what's called Reicha and Zaya. Reicha would be more this aroma, and Zaya is steam. So if it's steamy, let's say you're cooking, uh, there's a lot of steam going on in the oven, then that's much more problematic. This whole discussion that Rav, that we most likely, Pascal like Levy, that you can go lenient with roasting two things, is where there's not a lot of steam. It's then the only concern is this Reicha, this aroma. So that's why ovens are more complicated and, a bit, uh, and, a, and it makes it more difficult. And then there's the other question is Lechat Can you go ahead and put meat and milk in the oven at the same time? Because according to the Rif and other Rishonim, this that Levi says you don't have to worry about it is only after the fact. But he had it once it's already done if it happened. Um, and then just a further consideration which should then make it even a lot lean, more lenient is one after the other. Many people are quite strict nowadays to have two ovens or they're very particular to cushion their ovens thoroughly between meat and milk. Or, you know, but if it's one after the other, then you have to see, do you run into any of the concerns that we've raised? Okay, and we'll leave it there for today. Have a very good Shabbos, and I'll see you Sunday.